Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Jen Bailey. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. Welcome to episode 13 for season 9, our last episode for this season. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, the 24th of September, for broadcast on the 2nd of October, 2019. This episode and season are sponsored by Triple Byte. That's Byte, B-Y-T-E. I'm Drew Freeman, here with my soon-to-be-departing Season 9 co-host, Jen Bailey. Thanks, Drew. Uh, Joining us on this episode is Antonio Leva. Antonio helps Android developers boost their career and grow their personal branding. Mentor and Kotlin trainer certified by JetBrains, writer of the book Kotlin for Android developers. He also does online courses and live training for companies. You can find more at AntonioLeva.com. In this episode, Antonio will discuss clean architecture. In part two, Jen will talk about actions for the Google Assistant and app actions. And finally, we'll wrap up the season with a retrospect and a final goodbye to Ms. Bailey. Antonio, welcome to the show. Welcome, and thank you so much for having me today here. I am so thrilled to have you here. Antonio is also one of the featured engineers in the Ray Wenderlich book, Living by the Code, which I I had the privilege of reading your section. And having struck out this year on my own to... uh, to, to start my own business, or at least to try to, to live off my own business, I really appreciated a lot of what you said in that chapter. And I, I think maybe we will uh, focus on that in a future episode. But I, I'm so thrilled to have another person who is a uh, Who's, who's decided to eschew the corporate world for their own corporate corporate uh, desires. Yeah, it's always a very interesting journey. <laughs> it's kind of scary at the beginning, but it, it pays well off always. I, I am really happy to have done it. Lots of, uh, lots of personal training and personal enrichment and personal terror along the way. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, what happens. What goes around in your in your head when you are when you are um, going through your own business. The, all the new things that you have to learn that don't, don't have to be anything related to programming or to developing. You you have to develop a, a lot of new skills that are even way more difficult than that programming itself. So it's. Very, very fun, but also very uh, challenging. Not to focus too completely on that, because I, like I said, we'll probably focus on this yeah. on, a, on, a, on a later <laughs> show. But one of the things I really appreciated was you saying that you figured out what kind of tasks you would have from month to month based on what kind of income you knew you were likely to get in for the month. So once you knew what what your uh, what your input and income was going to be, that helped you guide and steer what you would do in further for the quarter yeah that's that's more or less what i try to do and also always have something that um, allows me to know beforehand what's going to happen not to be run out of 
of gas at, at any moment have some some things that are recurring enough to to be able to to live out for the following months without worrying if you are trying a new thing that could not go well or or this kind this kind of things i i always try to to balance that so that it's not so scary i think that you are very brave so reading your story um you really dove into a new thing when you adopted kotlin and i loved reading your story it just made me think wow antonio is a really brave individual that's someone cool to look up to <laughs> as you, you go all in on a new technology and that's a scary thing to do in my opinion yeah indeed i uh, in fact it was not so difficult because uh, i at the beginning uh, did both things at the same time i was working on a for a company and at the same time uh, starting building my my business just in case it didn't go well uh, so the things that I tried, if if it didn't if they didn't come out well, it, it wouldn't be such a problem because I had the backup of a regular job. But but in the end, when I saw that it was uh, uh, stable enough to to go for it, I decided to move on. And, and yeah, I've been that for one year already. In fact, I think today I'm doing exactly one year since I since I moved. Since I uh, moved to to start with my own project, and it is uh, it is daunting to be an early adopter in any technology. You being an early adopter into Kotlin, I, I was very fortunate when I took one of the the jobs I had. They actually hired me on to be an early adopter of a technology and to help that company transition into that technology. And it's it's wonderful to be given those those beneficial opportunities. But we are here to talk about clean architecture. So yeah. can you give me an initial definition of, of how uh, of your definition of clean architecture? Yeah, it was start first with the definition of an architecture in general. And an architecture is a way of structuring your code so that uh, it can evolve easily in the future so that uh, the new things that we need to add to our code or, or even the changes that we receive from our clients don't affect so much to our to our base code that we need to rewrite anything or that we need a lot of time to uh, to to adapt our uh, our current code to the to the new needs so the architecture is partly that, and this, the way we structure our, our, our base code in, in our projects, but it's also, it also generates a language in, in, your, in your team because that way uh, your team has a, a set of, of ideas and of, and of concepts that they can talk about without having to uh, decide every time how how they are going to to tackle a new feature or, or a new um, part of the project, and that's very helpful because uh, it saves a lot of time and a lot of misunderstandings in the team uh, when you have something that everyone can can follow and 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 adapt to when they are creating new code. 
So that would be a very generic definition of an architecture. And in, in particular, the clean architecture is just um, a solution uh, that was created by uh, Robert C. Martin or, or Uncle Bob. That is, is yeah, <laughs> that we all know about him. And, and what he created is uh, a specific solution of an architecture that based on his experience, uh, uh, he thought that it was uh, the, the best uh, um, the best solution to, to an architecture in, in any software, uh, in, in any app or software that we want to, to develop. And it's just a, a specific um, a specific form of a of a layered architecture. A layered architecture is just uh, an architecture that is divided into layers, and we uh, we have um, we we have a, a set of of components that are uh, are put in the, in those different layers and then we decide the interaction the interactions that we can have with, between those layers okay so you're basically saying that the clean architecture starts by putting things into a series of layers and this is a good thing because that way you can um, um, separate those layers in a way that some of those layers don't the changes of, of some of those layers don't affect to uh, other layers. So you can protect parts of your code from the changes of, of these other layers. And, and why this is good? Because imagine that we are uh, working with a library, a third party library that we decided that it was good for us. And this library is uh, used in all the parts of our code in in many different classes and many, many different modules um, uh, at some point we need to change it for something because uh, there's a new need that the library doesn't cover or there's a new library that is better for a better solution for that uh, particular problem if we have uh, uh, those libraries in, separated in a, in a layer that can be easily modified without affect, affecting the rest of our code, it's very easy to move to the new one. On the other hand, if we have it everything um, spread all around our code, the the pain of that of changing that can be huge. So I think we've all had the situations, <laughs> or I think many of us have have had that situation where we've we've depended on that third party library and all of a sudden we've had to rip it out and replace it with something else. And the more you've had that abstraction layer where you've been able to say, okay, so there's a shim between the library's APIs and my app's calls, that definitely gives that ripping out and putting back in again a lot easier of an experience. But, you know, you, you have to have a really good and strong abstraction to have that layering process work. <laughs> yeah, that so. is one of the goals here, like to decouple the is decoupling the right term to separate those layers. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the major benefits because um, the clean architecture is not only that, it, it's divided into several layers, not only this our domain layer or our app layer and, and the third party libraries layer, but you also have other uh, mid layers that 
help you organize your code in a in a much easier way than the, that then as we mentioned at the beginning uh, developers can can use to first debate about the different solutions that they can give to a problem and second when when you as as a member of the team have to um, have to read something that you didn't wrote or or change something in a feature that you were not involved is much easier to understand if the if that a feature was written using the same architecture that you used in the in the rest of the features because the the components will be in the same in the same uh, place in the same layer also the the names of the classes usually follow a, a similar pattern, so it's easier to understand that uh, if you are using a data source, you know what it is, or if you are using a, a repository, you also know what it is. So all this language speeds speed up the, the development and also the communication between the, the members of the team. All right, so we've talked about having the, the different layers, as you've talked about library layers domain layers, app layers. We've also talked about naming conventions, keeping naming conventions um, similar between the different layers. Are there any other layers that I'm missing other than, say, the, the domain layer, the app layer, the library layer? Can you give us a few others that we may find there? This is very personal because the clean architecture doesn't force you to use any specific layers. It's, it's more like a set of rules rather than a than a, an exact implementation. Exactly. But yeah, but in my case, I I tend to have the the domain layer, which is the place where we put all the the business logic of our of our, of our app. Everything that when we, I think about that layer, I think that's about something that would apply to my app, to the iOS app, to a web app, even to the to the backend, because it's something that it's uh, like the um, the rules that uh, our business follow. So that's that's the part of the code that I would uh, I would add to that domain layer. And yeah, and once we have uh, that domain layer, we we would move to the. Um, um, the use cases layer, which is the um, the interactions that the user can do with with our application. Every time a user press a button, that can be converted converted into a into into a use case that uh, is just an action that our code can do, and that action then uh, will trigger some uh, some. And some effects into our code, and that's and this is what is usually also called the application layer because it's something that is more specific to to our app. Maybe uh, the mobile app has a button that the web app doesn't, and and doesn't make sense to to use all the same uh, use cases in in all our in all the products of our of our project. So. This would be like the the second level in in our core um, in our core code the, the the basic code of our code, and then you could have the the next one that would be the the data layer that would be the um, how we communicate with the outside world where where <laughs> the from where we are receiving the information and where we are sending the changes of of that data to to the to the outside outside world again so 
So the data layer is usually like the abstraction between our code and the and the outside outside world. So a communications layer as well. I, I'm glad you mentioned the term that that the clean architecture is not so much the layers as it is a series of rules, because uh, I mean every piece of code is going to have its own specific needs, its own specific care and feeding. Can you talk about some of the rules that help with clean architecture that aren't necessarily the layering of the code? Yeah, one of the most important rules is that uh, the inner layers cannot know anything of the outer layers. So <laughs> this this is uh, a bit counterintuitive because if we imagine when we are uh, pressing a button on, on, on our UI, then uh, as we mentioned, we would call the use case. The use case would use the model of our, or the domain of our app and then we have to like to go backwards in the layers, the data layer, and and the um, libraries layer or the framework layer or whatever you want to call it would be outside the the, the layers that that need to use it. So this is a bit counterintuitive because how can I use an outer layer if I cannot know anything about it? And here is when a very important concept comes in, which is the dependency inversion principle, which is one of the solid principles that you may have heard about. Mm -hmm. And the dependency inversion principle, which means is that we, instead of interacting with uh, concrete uh, classes, what we do is to work with abstractions in, in practical terms, it would be an interface. Instead of using the, the specific definition of the class, we use an interface and we communicate with that. The interface will be defined in, the, in our inner class and then the external classes would use uh, that interface and implement it to uh, the specific case. And this is very easy to understand with the libraries examples that we told before. If we want to abstract from a library, we can have an interface of what we need as an internal class, as an internal layer, we have an interface with a, with a set of methods that the, the external layer need to, needs to, um, to give a, a concrete implementation for that. So if we have a, the library that we want to use, uh, we would use it in, in this class that we implement the, the interface, and that way we don't need to know everything about the outer about the outer layers because it's the outer layers the one in charge of, of building of creating this concrete implementation of our interface. This is all some really good material, Antonio. I want to thank you for all this information and I think it's going to help a lot of our listeners if they're not already doing this themselves. You're welcome and thank you for having me. In the second half, Jen is going to be talking to us about the Google Assistant and some actions for Google Assistant, as well as talking about app actions in general. And we'll talk about some of that in the second part of our show coming up after this word from TripleByte. The Great Wonder Podcast will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor. 
This RayWenderlich.com podcast is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on phone screens, take-home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your interest or your cover letters. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies, from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you get to go straight to the final interviews with the companies on their platform. It's like the common app for software engineers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. And I can appreciate that. Being in the industry for 35 years, I'm entirely self-taught. My undergraduate study was in theater and I left school to do my first job. So I don't carry a bachelor's, no bachelor's of arts, no bachelor's of science. And that's the one thing I'm often trying to hide or misdirect on my resume. With TripleByte, they care more about the coding experience that I have and not worry about that one little fact. Apply now at triplebyte.com slash Ray. That's triplebyte.com, byte, B-Y-T-E, as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. And again, a special thanks to Triple Byte, that's Byte B-Y-T-E, for sponsoring this episode and this season of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. We're back for section two, and Jen has been working with the Google Assistant. Uh, she really enjoyed Google I.O. this year and all of the information dump that she got. And we're going to have Jen talk about some of that information that she picked up at Google I.O. Jen, tell us about the Google Assistant. I love the Google Assistant. So this was a technology that I love to see emerging. Um, I was a big fan of Google Now, and this is kind of filling that space over the last couple years. Uh, last year, through GDG, there were a, a, there was a DevFest campaign, so I got to put on a DevFest for making actions for the Assistant. And if you published an action, you could get a t-shirt. So I missed the deadline for my t-shirt, uh, but a lot of the people who participated in my dev fest or a couple people got their t-shirt. Maybe if we're lucky, somebody who's uh, <laughs> associated with GDG will hear this podcast and then they'll, and they'll take great solace upon you and, and you may yet still sneak a t-shirt from somebody who's, uh, who's able to get you on. Or maybe one of our listeners will go, oh, she needs one. So... So tell me, what is a Google Assistant action? So a Google Assistant action is like a skill um, to Alexa. So it's something that the Google Assistant can do. So it's basically your app for the Google Assistant. Mm -hmm. um, and the Google Assistant's currently on over a billion devices. So this just keeps growing and growing. And one of the fun projects we did is there's an Assistant SDK to put it for like hardware manufacturers and stuff. And you can build, they have a cardboard A DIY kit. Um, so if you have a Raspberry Pi, you can turn that into a, a cardboard version of a home, <laughs> of a Google Home. So there's a lot of, there's just endless possibilities. They make it easy to build Assistant into new devices, hoping that it'll get adopted more with like smart home and those sorts of things. So in the simplest terms, an action defines a support for a user request. Um, so the user makes a request and like in the case of a 
conversational action, you have a tool called Dialogue Flow that'll do your natural language processing. So it'll take the user's request and parse it down into pieces for you. And then uh, the programmer writes the fulfillment. So you can write the fulfillment and that returns it. Um, so there's different ways to interact with the assistant and build actions. Uh, one of the cool ways that they presented at I.O. this year is you can enhance web content. Um, and this will increase the discoverability through the search and the assistant. So you do that by adding structured data to your web content. So that's mainly for web uh, developers. And as you'd ask, there's templates for that. And so you can build uh, using their templates and FAQ like a frequently asked questions section for your site. You could build a how-to tutorial. We could launch this podcast through one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so you could use the assistant to look up a podcast. And many of us use the recipes. So I know when the Google Homes were new, that was something a lot of the users were excited about, that you could say, you know, how do I make this certain recipe? And it'll walk you through step-by-step. Step. And that is really cool. And then also for news, um, so that's for web content. If you want to build an action, um, more like a conversational action with the templates, they have a flashcard template, again, another how-to guide, and there is a quiz, and also trivia. So one of my DevFest participants got a t-shirt using the templates, which was really cool, because they made a very high-quality quiz, and um, that is such a neat way to get started or to bring attention to your app or your website and it makes the assistant more entertaining so the more of these actions that are out there the more fun the assistant can be and how does how does that work i mean when you say something to the phone uh, the um, you the um, google assistant uh, divides that sentence into parts i guess and you get them in the action in and how how's the structure of the data that you receive in in that action there are entities and those represent the type of the parameters in the request so um, if you we were working with recipes and say we wanted to make soup um, to say i want to make potato leek soup you could have entities that are vegetables and you can um, an entity is cool because you can make a list of different values that it could match with that entity so like spinach and broccoli and you could list a bunch of different vegetables and it will do that matching for you it'll recognize those words and be able to pull them out as parameters and tell you what type of parameters that there are so that makes it mu uh, much easier to identify the important parts of the request because that way they can um, word the request in many different ways but it will identify and um, type the different things in the request. This basically is now the third player in the uh, the virtual assistant universe. You've got Alexa over on the Amazon side. You've got Siri over on the iOS and Apple Mac side. And now you also have Google Assistant to, uh, to take those virtual requests and turn them into 
actions. A lot of times I've talked to iPhone users who are also Android developers, so maybe a little biased, but they mostly use uh, Siri to invoke the Google Assistant. <laughs> so you could use the Google Assistant on iPhone if you want to, uh, because you can install the Google Assistant app on your iPhone and you can tell Siri to start the Google Assistant app. <laughs> Does Google Assistant have a have a, have a free, is, is, a, is that the hey google or yes and as you notice that one thing that is hilarious and that i've seen it in many presentations if you don't turn off your you know turn off your phone unplug i have an assistant right by my bed uh google home so i have unplugged it because you will say okay google during your presentation while i was watching talks to prepare for this presentation things are chiming everywhere because they say okay google on the tv so you you can't this, get, is, you, this <laughs> has been my biggest concern about having the the assistance of any of the flavors in my home turned on because I'm just afraid somebody's going to walk into my house and go, "Hey Alexa, order a case of Dom Perignon." <laughs> And the next thing I know, all of a sudden, I got this six thousand dollar bill on my credit card because some idiot came in my house and said, "Hey, I can talk to this thing." Now I hope that you would be safe from that happening because one of the things uh, with actions is there's intents, and you can do custom intents or built-in intents. So an intent is like what the user's trying to do with your action. So order a case of Don Perignon would be a good um, come back. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah, and first off, it should recognize that it's not your voice. And then in order to do like transactions, you should have to enable the transactions and have given permission. Does Google Assistant do vocal recognition so it re recognizes multiple users? It does. And that is really awesome because my daughter and I both use it. And so it'll put both of our requests on the same shopping list, uh, but it recognizes the difference between her and I for things like setting reminders. And we sound alike, her being 17 now so sometimes I'll set a reminder it thinks it's her and then she'll get my reminder so that can cause some problems but it, most of the time it's pretty accurate and it has a difficult time for me and my daughter because we are we're so much alike um, the way we talk do the Google Actions set the reminders or your shopping list through specific Google apps or is it through secondary apps that are non-Google? You can use a combination of both. So one of the hardest concepts with Google Assistant is discovery and discovery for your actions. And I guess you call it an invocation. So order Don Perignon is invoking the Google Assistant. Um, but discovering actions is tricky. So for for the programmer person or the person who just now got a new Google Assistant home or something, you can look in the actions directory. And that's almost, it's not an app store because that's another issue with Google Assistant is how do we monetize these? And really they just bring more attention to your website or apps because there's no way to buy an action. Um, but in the actions directory, you can find all the different published actions 
actions under category. But talking to the Google Assistant, it's one of those algorithms that Google controls. If you make a, um, an explicit or there's implicit and explicit um, invocations. So explicit is when they um, want to talk to your actions. So I would say something like, I use the Todoist action a lot when I used to use Todoist, the app. Um, so I say, talk to Todoist and add a task. And so then it knows which action you want to invoke um, and it can pull up, the, it can perform that action with that specific app. But there's implicit. So if you say something like, uh, please order me a, a taxi, then it's going to match that invocation with um, whatever app it sees best. So if you have Uber and Lyft on your phone, and those are just examples, um, you don't have any control so much over what it chooses. So it's not going to ask you, there are two apps that I have that could do this. Do you have a preference? No. So it just kind of fires. It, it will bring up which app can handle the invocation. Mm-hmm. Um, or which one is most popular, and so that's a that's something we can talk about with app in because one of the ways to like with app actions, that's when you build in some of these intents into your Android app. Um, one of the ways to get recognized more by Google, and these are just in beta, is you have to report to Google through Firebase whether or not your action could successfully handle and fulfill the request, mm-hmm. because they're more likely to recommend your app if they. They get positive results in that data. So by forgetting to do that, you could hurt your chances of being discovered. So the more you basically interleave these Google tor- core technologies, the more Google is going to pay attention to your app. Yeah, you need to implement their APIs for reporting and um, and do things. The, they have guidelines for what you should do if you want your app to be discoverable in the actions. Um, and if you do those things, they'll get data that tells them yes, this action is successfully fulfilling these requests and that put you higher up in the ranking <laughs> when people use an invocation. Because um, And also in the Google Home app, you can put shortcuts for the Google Assistant. So if there's an app that I like all the time, I can figure out a command of the Google Assistant, like talk to such and such app and do this. And I could make that be a shortcut where the, t- where the invocation phrase is like, add a task. And that way, that's another way that I could like forcibly link a request I make to the assistant to a specific app or a specific action that I want with shorter verbiage, because that is tricky, um, is to come up with those invocation phrases as the developer and to remember them as a user. So the way I use the assistant, I've had to memorize um, the features that I want, and there's a learning curve. There's some practice and memorization to getting the assistant to fire up and do what I want the first time. (laughs) See, now all of a sudden I have the urge to install (laughs) assistant. Alt enter. Give me all of the things I can look for. <laughs> that would be great. So it does try. It does try, and you can tell it things like "I'm bored," and it'll suggest games. Or a fun one is, is "Scare me," and you know it'll tell you jokes. And so there's a lot that comes with the assistant, like Alexa, that is built in. That's really fun. Jen, this is really great, and it makes me want to to use my Google 
device, my Android device more, um, predominantly because I have really not spent the time using a virtual assistant. I've sort of shied away from it, but hearing the convenience of these repetitive tasks that I'm doing, it seems like a shortcut that will... Well, once again, make the technology ubiquitous. And again, I will look back and go, how did I survive 25 years ago? Antonio, I want to thank you for your time on this episode. It's been a real pleasure to have you. It's been some great information on clean architecture. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here too. Yeah, thank you. We are not quite done yet. We're going to come back in a moment and we are going to wrap this season up and we're going to talk to Jen and see what she thought of this season. Welcome back to what is uh, our rare third part of the show, which is never my favorite part because it is with great sorrow that we say goodbye to yet another now podcastus emeritus. Jen, how did you enjoy doing season nine? It was quite an experience. I enjoyed it a lot. I know it was a, a little daunting for you at the beginning because, of course, we started this season predominantly iOS. And then all of a sudden it was like, OK, Jen, your turn to talk. And it was like, oh, my God, now what? <laughs> it's interesting to present in this format. So I was definitely nervous because I've never done anything like this before. But you've fallen into it very, very naturally. Oh, well, thank you. I feel like I'm finally past the difficult parts. So yes, like, <laughs> finally have the idea what to do. You're done. <laughs> yeah, that is hilarious. It's like now that I feel more confident uh, doing it, it's all over. But um, it's an experience I wouldn't trade. So I think sometimes um, those spontaneous experiences are the best anyway, when they're unplanned and you're learning. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a, a favorite episode from the season? Well, there were many that I enjoyed a lot. I really had fun with Erica Sadun on the, uh, that was one of the first episodes we did and that mm -hmm. blew my mind. Um, I really enjoyed talking to John Sundell and then um, with Android developers, it would be hard to pick a favorite. Um, I would say Hadi Hariri was super fun to talk to. Mm -hmm. We had Romaine Gee. <laughs> so they're all my favorite. <laughs> we had Chiki on. Oh, yes. Chuki, she could be my favorite for sure. Um, I really enjoyed the episode with Sean Allen because it was a chance to talk about not just engineering, but how you actually put this kind of stuff together. The talks, the presentations, the blogs, going to talks, going to conferences and putting yourself out there. I, I think one of my favorite comments this season came from him. It's like, well, why did you get into this? And he said well out of spite when <laughs> he was talking awesome. about getting when he was talking about getting turned down at an interview and he said I want to prove myself so I'm just going to put myself out there and I, I think that was great and I think it was also one of our, our best received shows of the season and he's extremely inspiring because I teach adults at community college so I get some adults that are doing career changes in their 30s and 40s and they often ask me is this realistic for someone to learn this skill at this age and I try, I tell people it's realistic any age you want to learn it mm -hmm. so I love that he's proof of that concept I have to admit one of my favorite things this season was listening to Android stuff from you because you were familiar with the app that I'm, I've been writing and 
you were able to, without you know pandering to iOS, talk about a lot of these Android concepts in a way that I could understand. And I really appreciate that. And I know a lot of newer newer uh, developers get a chance to really get a bird's eye view and a closer view at some of these I, these Android technologies. And I, I really, this is our first season that we've really pushed hard on on Android. And I think we did a fairly good job. I, and I think a lot of the credit belongs to you on that. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> so let's see. So we got some of the shows you enjoyed. We know that you've given us a lot of material. What do you think we can do better on the show? I think the format works pretty good. And um, it would be a lot... Like, um, I would want to learn a lot more material to give a presentation every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So, but a lot of people would be able to do that because they've given more talks than maybe I have. You've raised a very good topic, and that is that we are going to need a season 10 co host. Yeah. (laughs) And they obviously are going to need to have some good Android chops because I've got my iOS stuff together, but I just cannot keep up with some of these Android things. I've learned so much, but I, I was coming from a place of zero. And of course, if any of our listeners are anybody watching on YouTube is interested, you uh, email us at podcast at raywenderlich.com. But what advice as a co-host would you have for somebody who would be interested in coming in? I would say if you're interested to definitely do it because it's a great platform to um, be heard on and to learn. So one of the best things about this experience was learning from the guests and being able to ask them questions Um that I'd really love to know. So that was great. And I would say um, to don't be upset if you're not a total expert at everything because you could, I I love the suggestion that, well, you you can talk about a project you're working on and where it went wrong or a project you'd like to do and things you'd like to know more. So pick topics that are at your level and in honesty and you don't have to try and fake to be an expert because we're not all experts in everything. Some people are. I'm not. So I'm always learning new stuff and I'm catching up with some stuff and, you know, you are where you are. (laughs) At the same time, we are looking for somebody who has got a good personality on air, uh, on audio, on video now, a person who has some knowledge of Android, can talk about different topics. We are going to have um, next season a look at a whole bunch of technologies because uh, with Google I.O. now out of the way and WWDC out of the way, uh, we're going to be coming back around January with uh, a lot of these topics that were dumped on us in beta and will now be coming into uh, full release. So we'll want to really focus on things like the Google Assistant, uh, like some of the uh, the natural language processing, some of the machine learning that's going on in the Android world. We're definitely going to be taking a look what at... What about Flutter? And Flutter. We're definitely going to see if we can talk about Flutter. We're going to talk about Combine and Swift UI and uh, the Catalyst Project and a lot of these books that are going to be coming out relatively soon from waywenderlick.com. I know a whole bunch of books just came out in a, a huge Android dump. Yep, I was an author on saving data in Android, so I'm super excited about that. <laughs> so definitely continue to check out the Ray Wenderlich site. And if you are interested, again, email us at podcast at raywenderlich.com. 
We do, of course, want to end the season again by thanking Triple Bite. We've uh, we've thrown in that that's bite b y t e so many times uh, that I think both Jen and I do that sometimes at parties. We'll say, "Oh yeah, I I advertise <laughs> Triple Bite. That's bite b y t e." But they've been a great sponsor for us this season. We really appreciate their patronage. But we will be taking a break for a few weeks, getting everything together for next season, getting a new podcast host. And we will see you back here in January. We thank you all for listening. In the meantime, I hear music playing in my own head right now, but in editing once it's done in post. That means we head back to the Emerald Castle. And Ray, take us home. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendelk.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.